0: I'm Jackie Ferguson, host of the top-rated Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast, where I talk to culture creators, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers about everything from finding your purpose to creating inclusive, more productive work cultures. But on this special series, I'm talking to my friends about topics that are a little more edgy, a little more controversial, and getting their personal opinions on everything from race conversations to motherhood, to unbelievable stories in the news. Our personal views, while potentially drinking bourbon, in no way reflect the views of the diversity movement as an organization or entity. Join me as we go way beyond the checkbox. I am joined by some special guests to discuss today's topic fads, fatigue, and WTF moments for DEI practitioners. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you for
1: joining me. Will you each introduce yourselves? Hey, well, thanks for having me. And it's lovely to see all my friends and colleagues. I'm Susie Silver, she, her pronouns, and I'm a senior consultant with the diversity movement and uh, beyond the diversity movement, I am an artist and uh, have a studio in downtown Raleigh. Um, also, an entrepreneur at heart, have had a few businesses here and there, and uh, you know, really love the community. I am a wife, uh, my amazing wife Anne, is wonderful, and I've got two kids who are seven and a half and three and a half, and really just I I mentioned it, but I love community and I love friends and just meeting people, hearing stories and uh, just interested in a whole bunch of different things. Thanks, Susie. Kurt?
2: Kurt Merriweather, (laughs) VP of products and co-founder at uh, at the diversity movement and so excited to hang out with not only my colleagues, but my friends uh, to toast to all the stuff that we've done. (laughs) <laughs> let's, do a toast. let's do a
0: toast. Yeah, quick toast. Quick we are toast. all drinking BT dubs. <laughs> Podcasts and friends.
2: Podcasts and friends. <laughs> and so uh, by day, thinking about ways to help organizations be innovated with DEI of uh, products and ways that they work. But apart from that, just having a, a some eclectic interest uh, musician. If I had the courage to pursue music, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast right now. Um, music is my first love. I've always loved listening to music and playing music and uh, kind of informs most of the things that I do. I uh, have four wonderful kids ranging in ages from uh, out of the house, uh, no longer on the payroll,
0: I love that age. Uh,
2: Living in New York, living her best life. Like, literally, right now, she just sent me uh, a text with hanging out with some friends of ours who paid for dinner for her. So she's loving life right now. Uh, New York and uh, my son Miles, who we, Susie and I have a Miles. So Susie has Miles too.
1: We share that.
2: So he's back from NC State uh, hanging out with us. And then two other. Two other ones, Ellis, uh, who I need to write a book about. So Ellis is a <laughs> freshman in high school. There's so many Ellis stories. And then Reese, who's uh, the budding cheerleader. But I, family is really important to me. One of the reasons that I'm here is because uh, my mom is here. Uh, and so we had an opportunity just personally to celebrate her most recent birthday this past week. So I'm just excited and blessed to be able to do that by being here. So. You know, music, family, friends, trying to stay active and healthy, and then doing some entrepreneurial things on the side as well. My goal, obviously, is not to have any free time. So uh, (laughs) here we are. Shout out Valerie, my wonderful wife, and he, him pronouns. So I just wanted to make sure I added those two things.
0: Thanks, Kurt. Jamie. Hello,
3: everyone. My name is Jamie Ostrout, she, her pronouns. I am the head of client services at the diversity movement. So that means I'm the main point of contact for our clients and get to really provide advice and help our clients move forward on their diversity, equity and inclusion journeys. So I am very fortunate to work with wonderful clients and wonderful friends and colleagues as well. Um, And, you know, so happy to be a part of your lives. Susie was just at her studio, amazing Mm -hmm. artist. Kurt and I also share a love of music, although I definitely can never (laughs) go professional. (laughs) I like to dabble with the piano. Um, Community, I think, is the theme that that Susie and Kurt, you both brought up. And that's really important to me, being a part of the Raleigh community. So I serve as board co-chair of Raleigh City Farm, which is a local nonprofit that grows food and produce to serve our community. And we donate lots of produce to uh, other nonprofits that are fighting food insecurity and access. So that's really important work to me, uh, being a part of the community, helping friends, family. I have a husband, Dave, who is a scientist. So I was an English and history major. He's the science guy. So together, I think we complement each other nicely. And yeah, just so so happy to be doing this work. I was an entrepreneur before as well, I had my own consulting firm, and then Jackie and Kurt won me over, <laughs> pulled me from doing my own <laughs> consulting work to joining this amazing team and being as uh, Don, our CEO, calls it, the DEI Avengers. So I'm happy to be here today and, and to
0: be a DEI Avenger with all of you. All right. Well, thank you for those wonderful introductions and. Allowing our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So, we're going to jump into question number one. Tell us when you were most frustrated as a practitioner. What happened? And then, all names and companies need to be changed for privacy.
3: <laughs> you know, to be honest, it, it, there are a lot of frustrating moments. And for me, one of the the big ones when I become what I call fiery Jamie, as <laughs> Kurt and Jackie know. <laughs> we have a fiery Jamie Monday. Love fiery, Monday.
2: love me some fiery Jamie.
3: <laughs> um is around data, data collection. And that's something that's up because it's so important to have good data and be able to track progress. And so you know was was working with the client to try and figure that out and just kept coming up after roadblock after roadblock. And so that was that was really frustrating. I think, you know, even to the point of tears, (laughs) I just Mm -hmm. want to know the data so that Mm -hmm. we can make a change. Right. Um, But we were able to collaborate with the client, collaborate with other teams, pull in the right people and and make progress. And there's still, you know, countless issues. And I, I feel like data and Kurt, you probably have some things to say about that, being our VP of products, but how important it is, but how tough it is to have accurate data. So yeah. that was sort of one piece. Certainly there've been lots of other personal moments as well, but I'm going to save those for some of the later
0: questions. <laughs> you don't want to share a personal moment, Jamie?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can. Well, I think for me, getting some emails, some of that, that pushback when you know, we work really hard to send out a really good communication Yeah. and you get just certain employees that, that aren't there yet. They're not ready. And no matter what you say, they're not going to be happy. And they're going to write some really tough emails. And yeah. I know, Jackie, you and I have even read some together. And that's it, right. we have to support each other. Mm-hmm. Like, what is this? <laughs> like, how can someone actually think this? Yeah. <laughs> and it's especially hard when you work so hard on something, too. And you almost, you have to separate, you know, this isn't a personal attack. This is the work. That's right. Um, and so that's that's something else that, that I'll, I'll share. But I'll turn it over to my other colleagues to comment.
0: Susie and Kurt?
2: I think some of the most frustrating moments for me are... When I talk to leaders, Mm -hmm. and we named um, our course and even this uh, podcast Beyond a Checkbox, but there are leaders who are literally checking the box. Mm -hmm. And I get upset because, first, you know, passionate and believe in what we're doing and the impact that it can make, but also, the public stances that leaders make in front of the companies that they are charged to lead, and their employees believe what they're saying, mm. but behind closed doors, based on the conversations that I've had, it's clear they're checking the box.
1: Yeah, and
2: so that's that's probably the hardest thing for me is to see the you know the dichotomy between what's expressed publicly versus how they appear to behave in a mm. tighter circle. And having seen some of those interactions, is, it just makes me sick, quite frankly, mm. uh, when I see that. And it, it's hard for me to do the work that we need to do when I see a leadership team that's not on board. But the reason that I wanna do it is because the employees deserve better yeah. And so I'm yeah. really doing it. And when I find myself in those kinds of situations, I'm doing it for the team uh, in spite of what I see. And so that's that's the hardest thing for me is to see that disconnect between the public persona versus what the true thought process is behind the work that we do. Wow.
3: I just want to comment on that, Kurt, because I remember there was one time where I was frustrated, too, about they're not buying into this. And you said, we're doing it for the employees, not for the leaders. And that was such an important moment for me. And I really, I still think about that. And so I appreciate that perspective a lot. And just wanted to comment on that.
1: Love that. Yeah, it's, it's, those points are amazing. And I think a little bit further on, on both of the points and, and Kurt, Uh, specifically with the leadership, one that the public facing and then what's happening internally. And also it digresses slightly with organizations that have appointed a leader. Maybe it's a chief diversity officer or a a senior manager, whatever the position is. And it's generally a department of one. It's a team of one. And then these expectations of, so not so much for myself, which I know (laughs) digressing from the question, I have plenty of things to share. But I think that's something that is frustrating for us to see because we're working right alongside a lot of these teams of one. And finally, maybe we have been brought in to help or to support or we know so many people in the community that have these roles and they've been brought in. And it's, it's almost as if they're set up. For the not having success, because mm-hmm. there's these expectations of so much changing and the pace and and then there aren't enough resources, you know, financially or yeah. time wise and and all these different things, and that can come from leadership quite often, you know, of you're going to come in and be the one person to change it all and save it all. And and here you have this harsh timeline and this harsh budget. And really that's unrealistic. And that's very frustrating to see of colleagues outside of our organization and just how hard that is for them. So it's a bit of a digression, um, of course, from the the question and the points made. But I just, for some reason that popped into my head and I thought, well, we need to share that because um, that's for our community as a whole as practitioners.
0: Thank you, Susie. I appreciate that. Now, getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty, I'll share a couple of stories that experiences that have frustrated me. One, I was talking to a senior leader of an organization and no matter what I said, this senior leader was like hesitant. But when Kurt said the exact same thing, he was like, oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) Kurt, do you remember this?
2: I do and recall it. Like,
0: <laughs> oh, my God. And I was like, what the hell? Because I'm like, I, I just said that. And he, for whatever reason, right, gender bias, whatever. I think it's a gender bias. He was not into it. So then I started, you know, and Kurt has, first of all, Kurt says things in a way that's just so much more lovely than I say them, like very direct. But it's the same thing and I'm like, what the hell So I'm sitting there like blinking like the the you know the blinking meme guy that's like <laughs> and I'm like oh. that was one of the things that, that irritated me and because you can see bias even though they're like, yeah, let's do this diversity thing and they're still human, right and they're still moving through those things and that was a tough one and then, For me, when I have conversations about race in particular, because I'm biracial, that can be tough, especially when I'm in a room with like, you know, a mixed race crowd. Because if I'm leaning on the, you know, we're all learning this together, start from where you are, right? Then I've got this group over here that's like, yeah, she doesn't get it, right? And then if I lean into you know, critical race theory, which by the way, just for everyone listening is American history, just, just a note. But if I'm leaning into that, then the the people that are like new to diversity are looking at me like I just bit the head off a bat. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, okay, like, where do I go? How do I stay in the middle lane? Right. Cause you've got Mm -hmm. to message both sides and then find the the happy medium. So, it's a tough business. Like it's tough work. It's emotional. It's scary for a lot of people. It's against what they grew up believing for a lot of people. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: kudos to yeah. everybody that's doing this work because it is it is hard work.
1: Yeah, Jackie, can I can I add to that a little bit? I'll I'll digress into some really personal things. Of course, being part of the LGBTQ plus community, you know, I've I've had so much personally, of course, of loving myself, accepting myself that I have gone through and and you all have heard my story. Um, But that has been hard in spaces as well because I often challenge assumptions in many different ways. And that could be on race, that can be on ethnicity, that could be on all kinds of different things. And I really have have known and acknowledge and accept that I have put myself willingly into uh, an education moment for a lot of people, which I have done that willingly and I will continue to do so. I'm very passionate about it. It's part of my purpose. But it is emotional and it is tiring. And there's that emotional labor component to a, a lot of what we all do. Um, but being in that space of, you know, I I I don't visually represent stereotype mm. for a lot of people. And so to challenge, you know, what people have grown up knowing, believing. So sometimes it's, well, how could you be part of this community? And, you know, I always ask thoughtful questions (laughs) in response to some of those things, or, you know, I'm speaking about my own community and still having people, you know, come up immediately or raise hand and say, well, I just it's like they shut off, you know, and, and not willing to listen. And just let's, I always talk about the noise, taking away some of the noise and let's, let's connect human to human. And so getting through some of that, and that can be day after day, it could be one hour to the next, depending on how much I'm doing in one day. And so I think that fatigue and just being faced with that day after day, it's interesting, but I do remember the root of my why, Mm -hmm. And that helps reground me and kind of recenter my why. And it's, I, it's okay that I challenge assumptions. Um, And so I could go a lot on that, but I think to point what's, what's difficult or what's been frustrating of just, well, I'm glad you're here, but you know, I, I don't agree with your, you know, you all know my thing about the word lifestyle, (laughs) please don't use it for many reasons, you know, but I don't agree with your lifestyle or I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a human being in front of you speaking generally pretty openly about my story as much as I can, because it's a human component. It's beyond me is what I feel. And so I just wanted to mention that because I can sit somewhat, not of course the same, but in that space of that um, emotional part of things and how hard it is some days to hear and hold all of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anything else before we move on to a new question? I want to make sure we're giving space for this.
3: Well, I know one thing that, and Susie just kind of was talking about it, but I've certainly come up against this of, you know, I'm a certified diversity executive. I've been doing this work. Yeah. Well, you're a white woman. Mm. What do you know about this? Mm -hmm. Because people only think about race or they only think about gender, they only think about one component of diversity. And that can be really tough. And I find it's less from leaders than it is from folks that are kind of the, in the day-to-day, well, what are you going to teach us? Mm. about this DEI stuff, because they just see what I look like, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So that's been definitely something that, you know, can can be frustrating. And it's like, you know what, I appreciate that. But we all have different perspectives. Here's the knowledge that I'm here, and we're working together. And we're, you know, moving, moving forward together and learning and All of these things, and that's what I say up front. And then, you know, I turn off the Zoom, and I become fiery Jamie. I'm like, "Why are they questioning me?"
1: (laughs) (laughs) She usually slacks me, and then it's like, "So this happened again." (laughs) But it's true. I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes it does happen when both of us show up on screen Mm
0: -hmm. at the same time. Mm
1: -hmm. But thank you, Jamie, for mentioning that.
0: Yeah. It's, and the thing about it is like, if you're looking at diversity from a race perspective, the two of you can't understand what Absolutely. Kurt and I experience yep. navigating the world as black people. Right. But it, it takes all of us together to move this forward in organizations and businesses in our community and whatever. Right. So we have to work together and, and Putting people in boxes is counter to what we're all trying to achieve. So, yeah. Kurt, anything to add way. before we move on?
2: The one thing I'll add to that. So, I've had occasions to talk about you know, when George, George Floyd was first murdered, to talk about my own story and the things that I've experienced, walking into rooms and having assumptions about who I am and what my capabilities are and all those different kinds of things. And when I, try to get people beyond race and to talk about, well, the reality is race is a piece of it, but it's just the tip of the iceberg and people still get stuck. And so then I kind of deal with this mental challenge that I have when I'm saying, well, I I don't wanna be uh, not true to who I am because I'm a black man sitting in front of you. But at the same time, I think I'm going to make more progress if I can convince you that you're going to be able to unlock the talents of everybody in front of you by having a a different view of diversity that goes beyond race. And so for me to even get past that point where people say, well, okay, that's great, but let's come back to race again. And so it's, it's sometimes difficult for me to get beyond the initial what you see at first blush kinds of reactions from folks. And so then there's the. Am I being true to people who are, are also Black in the organization by talking about moving beyond race? How long should I spend talking about race? Because I don't want to not acknowledge it because it's part of who I am. So that's something I struggle with when I'm talking to folks, is how much time to spend there because I know that there are other folks who come at it from a different perspective, where it is very much about race and trying to dismantle systemic racism. And I do believe systemic racism exists. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I believe the power of thinking about how to build strong teams going beyond that is where the power is, not talking about critical race theory for three hours. So mm-hmm. that's that's the struggle I have sometimes is, you know, am I being am I trying to move past who I am too quickly? Uh, mm-hmm. and I see people try to push me back to, well, we're just gonna talk about diversity and diversity equals race. So let's talk about your experience so I can understand. Um, and so that's, that's part of what I struggle with sometimes when I'm having discussions with folks.
3: One more comment. I do think those personal stories are so important though. You know, when I've heard each and every one of your stories, because it's what, you know, what we say, proximity builds empathy. So when you understand and you hear these different perspectives, or I'm talking to my friend who's Muslim and he's sharing experiences that he's had, you know, I, it just makes you want to hopefully do the work. Right.
1: Exactly.
3: Um, and, and so, you know, I do think it is hard Kirk's so it's that, that split of the personal, but then going, going beyond your own personal story of that personal piece, people, you know, that's important. It's really
0: important. What do you do, right? When companies think they're ready to prioritize DEI, but they're really not committed. And we, Kurt, you talked about this a little bit. It's like, you know, when you share all the things that are inequitable within our systems and workplaces, and some people are like, oh my God, like, forget it, right? (laughs) Like, that's (laughs) too much stuff, right? And, you know they're like, you know, let's just go back to, you know, black history month and 28 days. And I, I, am not going to do more than that. Right. But how do we address that? Right. How do we get people to understand that this is important? And then what are your frustrations like in the conversations that you have? Like, when are your, when are you like, you know, WTF, right? Like this is (laughs) ridiculous. But so I want to give space for, for that question. We've been really
3: fortunate in that so many of the clients we have really truly are committed. And Mm -hmm. certainly there's always some that within organizations that aren't, or it takes them a while to get on board. Um, But really, for the most part, folks really are committed. But we do hear a lot, well, I just don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. Because they feel like it's this big thing. And obviously what we try to do is say, well, no, it's it's a bunch of little steps and it doesn't have to be these big milestones. It's about celebrating the wins along the way um, and really looking at it as a sustainable journey. But there are some folks that just, they don't get that. And even after, you know, we'll go through the whole assessment process, share all the insights and they'll question it. Well, I don't know, just maybe one person said that. So it's not really a problem. Right. And they'll try and kind of brush it. Under the rug a little bit, and with those folks, you know, I just have to tell myself they're not ready, and just kind of keep in touch and make sure. Because again, thinking about that employee that's having those issues, we need to be there for them. But there are certain folks that just aren't aren't going to get it yet, and it, maybe it's going to take a little bit longer for them to to come around. So definitely have experienced that frustration. But you know, for the most part, I feel very happy that many of our clients really do care and they really do want to make a difference. Um, so it's, you know, every day is different. Some days are great (laughs) and you'll see the progress that clients are making and it's like, yes, like, look at this thing you did. Right. This is amazing. And then other days it just feels like the world is falling apart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, Jamie and I work so closely together uh, just on kind of our side of things with, with uh, clients and, and, and we all work with clients and we all work with our people. I think you know, creating a sustainable plan and something that is like Jamie said, bite sized So one, we provide the insights, but I really love our action plans because it does break things down where sometimes not being on, on board or kind of, it just seems like it's too much as Jamie said, it's this big thing. And I don't know if we have time, how are we going to do this? And then that spiral happens. I mean, that's a natural reaction for a lot of people yeah. for any of us, if something big is coming at us. And so You know, I think whether it's with us, which I hope, or it's something that people are listening and kind of taking on themselves is think about what is attainable and what's actionable. And to me, this is a personal statement. Nothing is too small. We want to keep that journey in progress heading forward and celebrate those wins. But I think that creates more buy-in. And those are conversations we can have. Hey, look, okay, we've got all this. Let's pick one thing. Let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. Let's break this down. So that's more on the strategy and sustainability side. Now, sometimes those emotions and just kind of that general buy-in and um, Don's done it. All all of us have done it where we just take leaders and do one-on-one conversations. So that is something when I kind of get to the frustration level or the WTF level, take a deep breath, usually have a conversation with Jamie (laughs) or somebody else on our team. And then we create a plan for us as well. How can we show up for... Our clients, uh, the people in our community, that really do ultimately want help. And what's the root? Is it fear? Is it true? Not you know, want wanting to buy in? All these different things, and we can generally get to that root and at least get somebody open to listening. Mm-hmm. Like that's a win, you know. Yeah. And then we can work from there. So those are a couple of different things, you know, and angles, I guess, to to create um, some more of that buy-in and sustainability. Yeah, Kurt.
2: I think the the thing is to kind of take a step back, as everyone is saying, and you know we're all really good at what we do. There, there's no question about that. But the reality is we're trying to counteract sometimes decades of mindset. So it doesn't matter what I say
3: mm-hmm.
2: in a half hour, an hour, a week. I'm not going to counteract with somebody's belief system is created over the period of years and years. So the first thing that I think about is, okay, well, that makes sense. If I was in this situation, I might not be on board either because then it starts to threaten who I am and how I think about things and my self-concept and a variety of other things. So kind of stepping back for a minute and thinking about what that person might be thinking about and then trying to think about different ways to talk about what they might be saying and apply different analogies to it. So I always think about physical therapy. If somebody said you were in an accident, in order for you to walk properly, you're going to have to go through these exercises. Well, you know, I mean, I looked at the x-rays. They weren't that bad. So I'm thinking it's just going to go away. Well, it turns out you're not going to regain full motion, range of motion until you do these exercises. Well, yeah, but can you do it for me? Can you just do the exercises for me in that way? Then I, I won't, I'm too busy to go to PT or therapy. <laughs> just do that, then I'll yeah. figure out, you know, I'll, I'll figure out how to, how to cope with it. But if you, well, that doesn't make sense in that context. And so what you start to do is explain things and analogies in ways that people think about, but then why are you applying a different way to think about diversity, equity, and inclusion? Another one is, I just can't figure out how to find people. Really? Well, if you apply that to customers and said, you know, I just can't find any good customers. I've been out there looking and I just can't figure out how to grow my business anymore. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If the leader said that over time, they wouldn't have their job anymore. So it's so it's a function of the right mm-hmm. process, thought process, and also a function of commitment. So if this is important, then what else are you doing that's important? And if you say you don't have time for it, what yeah. you're saying is that it's not important, not as important as something else. So how can we make this important? How can we give you time so that you can devote to it? And I remember yeah. talking to leaders about, okay, well, let's figure out how to flip, fit this into what you're already doing. And then once leaders or members of the organization figure that piece up of it out, you know, Jamie, you, you Jamie, and I have seen transformation in organizations when people really thought about that differently is the getting rid of the, I don't have time. Yeah. Uh, rationale to, wow, I didn't really think about it like that before. The key thing is really to to focus on getting somebody to change their mindset somehow. And, you know, we're all uh, thinking about different ways that we can do that every day. And so that's, that's the thing I try to do is, is step out of the frustration. But there are some days where there are people you're talking to that you recognize there's nothing you can say, there's nothing you can do, they think the way that they do. And you just hope that, you know, I'm not going to try to convert the people who can't be converted and move on to somebody else who can be.
0: Absolutely. So let's take a moment. And for our audience, as you can see, I've got some incredible coworkers and colleagues that say amazing stuff like, oh, wow, Like, I didn't ever think of that, right? But let's take a moment and talk about like when you put your hair up at night, not you, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> when you put your hair up at night and you're just and your slippers are on and your sweatpants, what is your WTF? For me, it's stuff like, well, can you help me out with what I should say to women of color? Right? Like, well, what what women of color? Like, there's we're not all the same, right? <laughs> we don't experience the same things. And then it's like, oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) I love (laughs) it. Never thought of that. And I'm like, what the hell, right? So, what's your what's your WTF? I I want like this is like double gulp of whatever it is you're drinking, (laughs) and tell me what irritates the hell out of you about the job.
3: I don't have an answer yet, but Jackie. I always have slippers and yoga pants or sweatpants on in this Zoom world. I do right now. I do for all of our clients out there. I think I've told many of our clients, but I'm always wearing my slippers in this Zoom world. When I have to dress up, it's, you know, it's tough.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, my mother bought me slippers. Hi, mom. My mother bought me slippers <laughs> for Christmas 2019. And I've worn these slippers every single day. <laughs> Oh yeah. Like there's time so for slippers. It's yeah. like, is it time to replace those slippers, Taggy? Probably. <laughs> Christmas but, is Yeah, coming. I'm in sweatpants yeah. every day and slippers every single day. If I have to wear pants now, I'm like, what? Why do I have yeah. to put on that's a pants?
3: WTF moment?
1: I know that is the, de- the a different pants. WTF
0: moment.
1: <laughs> 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 I'm glad you brought that up, Jamie, because same. Uh, <laughs> same. Yeah. I got the, you know, my blazer usually and like, you know, something and then it's, yep. Fun outfit. Okay. What's the, I'm thinking at night WTF moment.
2: What, they're like pet peeves when I'm talking to people. When somebody starts a sentence with no offense, but.
0: Oh no.
1: yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah. <a> one.
2: <laughs> that <laughs> Drives me crazy. So you're trying to soften the blow. It's like it's like a microaggression. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh-huh. A microaggression. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna put a, a little cushion <laughs> on the microaggression I'm about to give you. And it, I hate that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you if we're gonna have a conversation, let's say what you need to say. Yeah. Have the courage to say what you're gonna say. Don't try to sugarcoat it with the no offense like pre preconditioned it. So you're gonna say something's ridiculous,
0: Kurt's crying <laughs> <laughs> So I've that's had excellent. that.
2: That's a great good one. That's a great one. A few in a, on a few different occasions, and you know, apparently, you know, I, I don't know if it's because mm. they feel like I'm approachable, they can talk to me, they can say these kinds of things, but that that that's the thing that at night bothers me a lot.
1: Mm.
0: Now, Kurt, like, let's talk about you for a second. So you, you know, you have a MBA from Stanford, right? Are you the approachable black guy, right? Like are you Yeah, the- I'm
2: probably the well, I have a black friend, so I might I might be the black friend.
0: Are you everybody's black friend?
2: <laughs> In certain circles, like I can help people reduce their guilt a little bit by by being the black friend depending on the circle. So Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I
0: Kurt is available for me <laughs> <a> Black friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's all 1-800. It's 1-800. I know.
2: Yeah, we, do, we might, need to yeah, add that yeah. as a service offering if we haven't already, well, Jamie. Uh, black friend. Uh.
0: Oh, my God. I can imagine.
1: I think, I think on that, um, a couple things for me, which I'm being somewhat repetitive as I hear and I actually use it as an example of a microaggression or any kind of well, you don't look gay. What does that mean? Like I get that all the time. And, and at like, I've also just talked about this, which again, I will flip into just an education moment and ask questions and let's have a conversation, but really at the end of the day, that is really exhausting and does that, that would be a big WTF. And then also and I love my people. Those of you listening, so it's okay. I'm going to say right now, before I say this, it's okay that this has happened. We're just going to establish some new boundaries. I think that um, outside of this work, and this, I'm curious actually, if this is this happens to you all, um, the texts and calls at night and on the weekend from people not in our organization. Like if any of us text or call, hey, we need to talk, but friends really, really wanting knowledge, wanting help with a situation at work, wanting, you know, the advice of DEI people, you know, in in the space. And again, my default is to answer immediately, to pick up the phone. Yes, let's talk. But I have had to be very cognizant of some new boundaries, which are really hard for me because I want to help. But that sometimes actually makes me go, it's 10 o'clock at night. And like, you had all this blow up at work. and And I know you need help for tomorrow morning. But I've, you know, I also need some space. And so I think that's, it, that's a personal thing, you know, but I'm curious if that happens to you all. And again, my default is to help and I always wind up helping and I'm learning on some of the time boundaries. Sure, I can talk to you. It's going to be tomorrow at the end of the day. How does that sound? You know, things like that, that can make me go, WTF, I just sat down, <laughs> you know, See, I'm about to go to bed. That not happen to me. OK, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so funny, I have heard. a
0: very I have a very clear rule that if if you didn't give birth to me, I didn't give birth to you or we're in a situation where I could give birth to your <laughs> child. <laughs> <laughs> you may not call me at that time. you may not text me at that time. free, right? That's it. <laughs> reasonable hours. Like
1: I don't, I don't. <laughs> Will you just record um, an auto response on my <laughs> communication? Service? I'm going to be honest.
0: I had this conversation with a relative and I, I said this exact thing to her. I said, okay, you're six o'clock in the morning text. I'm not doing that. If I didn't give birth to you, you didn't <laughs> give birth to me or we can't, I can't give birth to your child you can't text me in a morning like
1: that. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We, I have witnesses now. We're going to hold me accountable. <laughs> and it's not all the time, but I think, you know, some of the WTF goes to, maybe it's this, the misunderstanding of the emotional labor, one of walking in this world as we are beautifully each individual as we are and diverse. And then in this work, this line of work, really, if you're not in it and embedded in it every day, it is hard to truly understand that the emotional labor side um, of it. And, and I think we, you know, and I'm trying to be more cognizant of that to protect our team, my productivity and my commitment to us, because that's where the burnout comes and all that. So those are my WTF moments, Jamie. Putting you on the spot. <laughs> oh,
3: no, I don't. I, I mean, I feel like I have so many WTs. I'm like, what? Why? Why? I think a lot, you know, some of it too is I get, well, you can't be an expert. And then on the other side, it's like, what? Well, you're DEI, like you should be the expert. Why don't you know the answer to this very specific question? <laughs> it's like because I don't know you're everything. you DEI.
2: Everything. Yeah. Did you have a sash? <laughs> this, where's your DEI sash? Yeah,
3: Miss yeah. DEI. That's right. That's room. right. Oh
1: my
3: God. Um, so. <laughs> My, you know, my more, it's less so from work because, you know, again, the people that we're working with generally do like, they want to be there. And I really do want to be there for them. And I want to be able to answer their questions, but it goes back to Susie, what you're saying, but they're paying us too. It's not like we're just giving this out for free the way that certain friends, you know, might be. And so mine is more, I think from friends and family who don't always get, why, why the hell are you doing this DEI thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been probably the biggest w t f moments for me, yeah. and I know I've shared with all of you and you've all been there, and it's you know it's just like trying to change the world, why can't you be excited about this? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that that's where more of my w t f of well why why you're not an expert, and then why aren't you the like I can't be the right amount of ex- expert <laughs> and we always say all the time like we're even though we are DEI practitioners, DEI experts, we're learning every day. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important to remember and to, to share with people because it makes them feel better too. And we're all, like Jackie, just said a few minutes ago, we're all trying to get better together. Mm-hmm. It takes all of us to do that. So just because, you know, DEI practitioner, I'm not the expert, but I do know something, so maybe you should listen to me. So I, I have difficulty with that kind of fine line of uh you know
0: how people perceive me i guess so smart thank you for sharing that well let's lean into that really quick so how do we navigate cuz we'll put this out right before christmas right how do we navigate the holidays with family members that are not on this DEI journey like what do we do when someone's saying something where you just want to hit them with the turkey drumstick (laughs) (laughs) just beat them with a turkey drumstick what do you what do you do I do try to practice what we preach as
3: much as I can and ask open-ended questions what makes you say that you know why do you why do you think that and then that can can open up the the dialogue and Jackie you shared something with me the other day that I've ingrained into my head (laughs) which is, are you open to a different perspective? Mm-hmm. And then if they say yes, then you can start sharing. And for me, I'm, you know, deciding when is it a learning moment? And when can I share something that maybe will move someone further along on their journey? And when am I not emotionally prepared or in the right state mm-hmm. to have that conversation? Yeah. And and trying to to decide. But for me, you know, I want to set a good example to the next generation. And I want them to know that I accept each and every one of them for who they are. And so when I can say things that will impact them, I try to make sure that I'm, that I'm doing that as opposed to if someone's just trying to get a rise out of, you know, yeah. Miss DEI. Miss DEI. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's one of the things. The other thing, too, um, is that, again, because so many people just immediately go to race mm. is to open it up. And so I've been able to relate to people because I'll bring up, you know, our, our partner, John Samuel,
1: as
3: mm-hmm. a man who was blind and I'll talk about his story and people are like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Cause sometimes people aren't ready. Sometimes people are not ready to talk about sexual orientation. And, but if you can, you know, talk to someone about a different element of diversity that maybe they hadn't considered before that tends, you know, then they get it and they start to see it. And I've done that with a few family members and it, it is, it's, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. And so we're moving from that critical, why are you doing this DEI stuff to curious? Oh, how do, how do you do that? How do you talk about disability or accessibility? Um, so that's something else that I try to think about as well and bring it back to that person and that person's, you know, experiences. And we all, you know, had different upbringings and all of that. Um, even if it's family, you know, it's, it's still mm-hmm. very different. Um, so those are some yeah. of the things that I try to keep in mind, but I'll be honest. I'm very good in front of clients, but when it comes to my own family or friends, sometimes it's it's a little bit more difficult. And Fiery Jamie comes out
0: even more. Fiery Jamie. Fiery Jamie. <laughs> back.
2: <laughs> I th- think with family, to Jamie's point, it's harder because you've got this built-in history. Mm-hmm. And your family members know how to push buttons. Mm-hmm. And say, the, wrong, say the, mm-hmm. well, the right or the wrong yeah, thing, depending do. on how you think about it. From their point of view, it's the right thing because I'm gonna try to get a ride out of you.
0: As Jamie um, takes a sip <laughs> of wine. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry,
2: the excuse The fiery Jamie. Uh before it,
0: Fiery right Jamie now. needs some wine,
1: yeah. But
2: that, that's the challenge, is that when you've got when you have a relationship with somebody, there's there's a whole there's another dynamic at play where and I've been reading this book about feedback and having conversations. And one of the triggers in when you're having a discussion with somebody is the relationship feedback, plus what they're saying, plus the truth of what they're saying. So if you add all those things together, then it's even, is even more difficult. So that's why you get so upset because it's about the relationship. I know what you're doing. You're trying to get a rise out of me. So then the
1: the first thing to, to
2: do is to separate the relationship first and then say, okay, how do I approach this and get Family members to understand, especially when they're confronting somebody who confronting a belief or something that's counter to what they believe is it's not about agreement, because I think that's where people get stuck. I'm not getting you to agree. I'm not trying to get you to agree. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to get Mm -hmm. you to do is understand. So if you can understand where this other group might be coming from. As opposed to agreement. All I'm trying to get people to do is have space for having great relationships and having great ideas and creating the right environment. That doesn't mean I agree. And so that's where a lot of the tension comes in family, where you're trying to convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong and you're going to get them to agree to this other point of view versus, no, when I'm not trying to get you to do that. If you have a conversation with somebody to understand their point of view, are you gonna are you gonna know less after the conversation or not? I haven't I haven't been in part of a conversation where I've known less afterwards. So at the very least, I'll know the same thing that I knew before, but I'm not gonna know less. And so it's being able to shape things, shape that conversation that way, but is is really difficult because of that relationship piece. So if you can remove the relationship from the conversation and then Pretend you're talking to a client <laughs> as hard as it is. That, I think that's the key. But, you know, that's that's me saying this with a glass of wine in my hand on a podcast versus actually <laughs> doing it face to face with the, the person that I've got that history with.
3: That's good advice. Yeah, let's all call each other on, you know. Uh, Upcoming holiday (laughs) and Christmas, and see where we're at.
1: (laughs) We need to start a text thread on the 26th. How'd you go? Oh, yeah, exactly. Are (laughs) you okay? (laughs) Susie. Yeah, I mean, just echoing what both Kurt and Jamie said, another, um, you know, small addition is the decision to uh, make sure you're psychologically safe, Mm. you know, and what is productive and safe. And oftentimes, you know, conversations or just even physically being in a room, uh, depending on what's going on is not necessarily safe one physically to emotionally. So, you know, kind of taking assessment, um, to keep yourself in that safe space yeah. and then, you know, kind of, uh, branching from there. And, um, you know, I, I listened to, I have to look this up and maybe we can figure it out and put it in show notes. There was a podcast I was listening to with, with, and my wife, and I've used this a lot about listening and, and Kurt to your point about that agreement. So listening, this is paraphrasing. Listen, listening is not always agreeing or endorsing. Mm. And so if we can get to a place where we're listening, Kurt, to your point, it's, we may not agree. We may not endorse, Of course, we want progress (laughs) because we're passionate people and we, you know, we want to have these really productive conversations in action, but that has really helped me as well and focus on my own listening as well as how I question. Um, But my my main thing to add would be that safety. I love that.
0: For me, I have my work ASMR voice where (laughs) I'm very safe and easy to talk to. But if you see me in the street, it's going to be a different situation. <laughs> Cuz I will tell you what I think in the street. So, for those people who have done my privilege walks or have you know, been in a in a session, it's different if you say something crazy in the street, I'm going to address it. And it and it's not cute. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> Can I add one thing? So I was thinking about the
3: WTF moment, and my the other thing that's really frustrating. Why are you making this political? Oh. And we see this
1: a lot oh. in emails oh, that we send Kurt out. And I go when
3: we hear word, oh. So oh. frustrating. So it's like I'm not, and it's to your point, Kurt. Like I'm not trying to make you change your vote. I'm not trying to make you do that. But I'm trying to make you wake the hell up yes. to what's happening. And it's not political, and that that becomes very frustrating. Um, or, oh, you're just being woke. And it's like, no, I'm well, trying to tell you how it is.
1: <laughs> I, and the political and you're being too sensitive. You're just too oh, sensitive. Yes, they yes, are being too yes. sensitive. So nice. Political and sensitive. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for unlocking that, Jamie. <laughs> yes. I thought of
3: it earlier and I was like, wait a second. I have it. I have my WTS yeah. moment.
2: <laughs> just to add to that, just, I, mine is, more of mine are coming out where you have people talking about, well, I don't really like to talk about what I do publicly, but I donate to these causes. So that somehow uh, validates the other stuff that you're doing, all the microaggressions, all the racism, all this other stuff that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes it okay, because you, you don't talk about the donations you're making to causes. Oh my that drives gosh. me crazy.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: First of mm-hmm. all, just, just for our listeners, treating people with respect and creating environments where they feel safe is not a political thing. So can we say that, can we acknowledge that first? And if you're making it political and Jamie, you're so right. Cause they're like, you know, politically correct. It's political. Mm-hmm. It's not political. It's just human rights, human dignity.
1: What nothing yep. is political about that. Yep. We can talk about what it feels like to be a political pawn, <laughs> but mm-hmm. we won't. Maybe we won't tonight. <laughs> no, <laughs> just just on that. I mean, but exactly right. Yeah. It's not political, but some many underrepresented communities have been the pawns of that. Yep. Yeah,
0: that's so,
1: right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So friends, as we begin to close out, I want to ask one last question, and that's for. Those of us that are in this work, for DEI practitioners everywhere, how do you practice self-care? And I'll start this one. So I like reality TV and a drink. So if I can have like a drink and a bag of chips and watch Thousand Pound Sisters, that's my self-care (laughs) moment.
2: Thousand. I've never yeah. heard of it. <laughs> heard You've of never
0: it. seen Thousand Pound Sisters? No. Come on, I've never even heard of it. It's amazing.
3: <laughs> I think it's
2: for the people who brought you 600-pound life. Well, probably. Uh,
3: mm-hmm. yeah. It is. <laughs> well, my, my show, because I'm similar, where I will just like some red wine, as I have tonight, and I will mm-hmm. just re-watch the show Outlander. My husband, no, Dave's like, oh, you're, how many times have you seen this show? Because I will go back and I read something that during the pandemic in particular, rewatching things that are familiar mm. is actually very comforting. Mm-hmm. So I know everything that's going to happen. There's not suspense in it anymore, mm-hmm. but just rewatching it brings me comfort. So that's, that's, that's what I do. I would like to say that I also do yoga, which I do, but that's the other opposite side of it. I'll try to do yoga. Like last week I realized, why am I so great? Like that one day, Susie, you're <laughs> just like you, and I think I talked to you, Kurt, too. And I said, I just feel like the wind is out of my sails. And uh, I was just like, oh, I haven't done yoga in days, like all week. <laughs> That's part of it. So that does help keep me, keep me emotionally, mentally grounded as well. That and Outlander. Mm.
1: Well, one, I really need to practice more self-care. I'm pretty terrible at it. And I have to really admit that. So I'm admitting it here in front of my colleagues and friends and also whoever's listening. So hold me accountable. Um, I have a tendency to want to make sure everything is ok for everyone else um, before me, and I'm working on that. And um when I do kind of settle into even what would be considered s- small, but it is big, I do. I really love rewatching shows as well. So, Shit's Creek is yes. biggest, um, the office, mm-hmm. and I love the Great British Bake Off. It just makes me happy, and I really enjoy baking, and so I, I really do, kind of TV is my escape, because our my mind is just, and, and we're answering so many questions, we're just firing all day long, and so that kind of helps me zone out, and then I, it's called a rinse, Technically, really, it's just a shower, but I just kind of stand, and I really do care about the environment, and I feel bad about wasting the water, but sometimes I just stand there. I just stand in the shower and just breathe. I mean, so that's kind of my place because Mm -hmm. no one can – well, usually – if my kids are sleeping, then I know I'm safe. Cause I'm like, Oh, I finally got here. And then mommy, I'm like, I thought you were sleeping already, right. right. but that's kind of my, that's my space. Um, and I do really like going outside. And so sometimes it is during the day and Jamie and you and I hold ourselves accountable for this. Like, Hey, just go outside for a few minutes and just get the sun on my face, take a really nice breath of fresh air. And so that's really good. So I'm working on it. Love some shows, really like some snacks. <laughs> I'm with you on the chips. <laughs> chips are hard to keep in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, also spending time with Anne, my wife. I mean, we're just kind of in it in the phase in life where sometimes it's like, Oh, Hey, good morning, good night at the same time. Yeah. So when we can hang out, that's really awesome. And self-care as well.
0: Awesome. Thanks Susie. Kurt.
2: Self-care. I'm also working on what I've, Started doing is what I call think walks. So I'll like leave the house and just start walking, and use that time to kind of think. Let the sun hit my face. Let the fresh air hit me a little bit. It usually doesn't matter how long the walk is, even if it's only five minutes long. But there's something about leaving, and I don't know if it's like a metaphor, but leaving the house and then coming back in is almost like I'm leaving the situation now. I'm coming back into it with fresh eyes. So that that helps me. Uh, think about things a, a lot differently, and then um, my guilty pleasure in terms of TV is I will watch a Bourne movie from end to end. I've probably seen every one. <laughs> <many times>. Yes, <laughs> so I feel like if Jason Bourne can get through, he's got amnesia and he doesn't know what's going on. If he if he can do it, then I should be able to figure out what I need to get done. So,
3: what would Jason Bourne do? <laughs>
2: What would Jason do? What would Jason do? He would figure it out. What would Jason do? I would that's not right. use the violence, but everything else, you know, I try, try to do the same thing. I, I would call Jackie for that for if I if I needed some backup.
0: Find <laughs> the street. violent one. No, I mean
2: I'm just calling you for the, the street the street uh the street talk that I need. Street chat. Right. Street <laughs> chat.
3: <Jackie. laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. The walk thing is right. And I think I've shared it with someone on this call, but there's this uh, meme. Sorry, I have to share this. And it's this eagle walking, uh, you know, with his talons. It's so ridiculous. And it just the caption is, I'm going on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. (laughs) And it's so true. And that's exactly Kurt. what I was thinking when you were saying that. Because I try and walk as well in our neighborhood and I'm going every day. I'm going on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. (laughs) But it helps. It helps. So look up, listeners, look up that meme, Google
0: it. It's great. I promise you won't be disappointed. (laughs) And mental health is very important. Emotional wellness is so important no matter what you do, but especially as DEI practitioners, we have to be very aware and conscious of that. Thanks for listening to Way Beyond the Checkbox. I hope you are enjoying this special series. Remember, if you like the show, rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with a friend. This episode was produced by EarFluence. See you soon.